This episode of No Quarter is sponsored by the Underground Retrocade. You love these games, and the way you want to play them is on the original cabinets. You want to see the side art, you want to feel the controls, and you want to hear Billy Idol on the stereo. So, next time you're in the Chicago area and you want that real classic arcade experience, spend your money money at the Underground Retrocade, 121 West Main Street, West Dundee, Illinois. I'm Carrington Vanston. And I'm Mike McGinnis. And this is No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast where we almost never make up the game we're talking about. Um, Well, you know, we kind of make everything up here, including the day on which you will do an (laughs) April Fool's Day show. It's as close as we can get. So that's that's what you get. Um, But first, I guess we should do some feedback stuff. And there's news and there's lots of stuff to talk about. I wait with bated breath. Well, I guess let's start with the bummer news. Python Angelo has died. So he is um, primarily known as a pinball machine designer and artist Mm -hmm. with Williams. But he also did arcade stuff. So that's how he he sort of touches our world. And he was the artist behind Joust. I know we've mentioned his name on the podcast before. I just can't remember which game it was associated with. Well, I was going to avoid that. But since you brought it up, (laughs) he designed Joust. And he designed Bubbles. Oh. And I didn't want to speak ill of the recently dead. But, Python, we love Joust, and we'll leave it at that. (laughs) But he did um, some crazy, fantastic work on pinballs. And it's the plural of pinball, pinballs? Seems like it should be like pinball-y or something. Um, Tables or something like boards. Sure, there you go. That sounds probably better. Um, it makes it sound like I know what I'm uh, talking about and that I'm cool. All the cool pinball me. kids know what, what pins and tables are. Boards. You are one of those cool pinball kids. Oh, I have other pinball news. What? Remarkably, I have pinball news. There's this movie, a short film. I love film. I love filmmaking. I love everything to do with that whole world, and I love doing it myself. And I love independent film and short films and just like, you know, people just making their own film. And there's a a cool little short film that I'd heard about ages ago called Pinball Donut Girl, which is a a short film um, by a filmmaker I hadn't been aware of before, but I finally got myself a copy of the DVD. So, and I quite enjoyed it. So it's a short independent film called Pinball Donut Girl. And I will have a link to that in the show notes too, in case other people want to watch the, the short film with pinball stuff in it. It's pinball. I don't really have anything else to add to that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but that's okay. I will throw a link in. <laughs> I have, um, we've got lots of feedback. So I want to read some of that and some really good ones when I get to. But before we get to that, I've got another link I want to share with our ooey gooey audience. And there's a an NPR show. NPR is your um, public radio in the U.S. Public with quotes around it, of course. Public, public with quotes around it, radio in the U.S. And I'm quite a big fan because I'm a Canadian and we do like our lefty radio. <laughs> and there's a show on that, a comedy show, I guess, called Ask Me Another. And somehow this week I stumbled across a, a really interesting episode of that called in, or a segment from one of the episodes called Insert Coin Here. And it ends up being a really interesting segment. So I'm not sure how this show normally works. I guess they bring on celebrities and they quiz them about stuff. But in this case, you have a comedian and one other person. I can't remember who, but at least one of them is a comedian being quizzed on classic arcade games. Now, everybody listening to our show would nail this quiz. It is very, very basic. But I thought it was an interesting structure. So how it worked is the host would describe the game in a how you would do things in the game. Like might say things like go left, then go up, then go right, then go up, then go left, then go up, then go right, then go up, and then do the and so it's sort of describe your activities and then the panelists would have to guess what game they were talking about. (laughs) They nailed them all except for one person who just messed up the, the pronunciation of a game, but they did quite well. There were no 
really obscure games, though. It's like if you think, if you were to ask your parents, name 10 video games, well, these are the games that they picked. <laughs> so it's the most famous of games. But it was kind of fun to hear a modern... This, this happened, I think, just a few weeks ago. It was a very modern radio program where they were discussing, and everybody seemed to know, classic arcade games. So that was quite fun to hear, and I'll have a link to the audio over on the NPR site um, in our show notes. Wait. I thought so. So let's get to the feedback. We got lots of feedback, some about our very strange last episode. But before <laughs> we get to that, we also <laughs> just like I just I'm looking forward to talking more about that game. That we got what I consider some of the greatest email feedback we've ever received. Now, I suspect <clears throat> Mike is going to disagree, <laughs> but I think this was amazing. So, friend of the show, Dustin. Oh, no. He is no friend of the show anymore. Oh, oh, oh he's best friend. He's BFF of the show, baby. <laughs> so, he wrote in the following. It says, I made this newspaper page commemorating your Galaga victory. It needed more press. I know it was last summer, but I've only listened to the show for a few weeks now. And if I was listening last summer, I would have made it back then. And then he sent us. A PDF, which, by the way, we are now hosting over oh, no. So we'll have a link in the show notes so everyone can see it. And it's the New York Times with the headline, Carrington KO's Mike. <laughs> and it's got a picture of the thousands lining the street to celebrate my victory. <laughs> and Galaga, it's awesome. It's got a whole write-up about the scores and, and the game and all of that. It's just fantastic. I love it. Nicely done, Dustin. Enjoy your band, sir. Uh, well, no, no doubt he's banned. Everybody, if you write in, you get banned. <laughs> That's just sort of how we work. But, but it was worth it. Way to take one for the team, Dustin. That was well, well banned. I hate you all. Ah, I totally love it. Everyone's just got to run off and look at it. It's just fantastic. Well done, Dustin. Um, so I'm walking off this show. <laughs> it's an outrage. <laughs> Richard wrote in to say, "Hey guys, first off." Awesome podcast. I really look forward to every episode. Richard, we like your email already. And then he says, so I'm driving. And by the way, I do love his email. This is the kind of email we get from our listeners that just <laughs> is one of the reasons why our listeners are so amazing mm -hmm. and detailed. Like we get the, the most interesting, most wonderful feedback. So Absolutely. check out what Richard wrote us. He says, so I'm driving into the office one morning and I was listening to episode 77. Carrington was reviewing the book, The Final Day at Westfield Arcade, and, uh, it, and mentioning that the arcade business took in $8 billion in 1982. And I remember hearing Mike say something along the lines of, I wonder how much space 32 billion quarters would take. So... Attached is the answer. And yes, folks, he actually <laughs> attached an Excel spreadsheet where he worked out the answer for us. And so he wrote, I also converted 1982 quarters to $2,013, which converts to about 59 cents is what the quarters are nowadays, and used that to show the number of quarters it would be today. He worked out how many quarters goes on a pallet. So one pallet of quarters is 100 boxes, and there's $500 worth per box. In 1982, then, it would take 44 NFL football fields, or for me, he said, 33 Canadian football fields. <laughs> and also, it would take 125 hockey rinks, and they would weigh 400 million pounds. Now, he did the math. In 2014, or really 2013 dollars, it would take 105 NFL football fields, which is 79 Canadian football fields, or, this is my favorite number, 297 hockey rinks. And oh yeah, it would weigh 950 million pounds, and the weights do not include the weights of the pallets. Incredibly detailed. I love it, Richard. I love it. Plus, I do think that hockey rinks should become a standard of measurement. Oh, <laughs> I, think I absolutely things in agree. general yeah. should be, how many hockey rinks would that be? Yeah. Oh, fantastic. So that is great. I love our, I love our listeners. That's amazing that he did that. Um, okay, so we also got something on uh, Facebook. John, I, I probably pronounced Gasek. Sorry if I'm killing your last name there, John. And this was essentially his entry for our Tron contest which we'll bring up again in a second but he says first time writer but i've been listening to your show for quite a while and yes i've been through all the past episodes and survived and i am stoked every <laughs> week for the new episode to show up in my podcatcher 
is it too late to enter the contest? He asks, and nope. And then he asks us also, um, if in case he doesn't win, do we know where you got the poster from? Because he'd love to order a print. So let's pause there for a second, Mike. Do you know where these posters can be found if if anywhere? Like if somebody doesn't win our contest? They came from several high-end printers, Carrington. Uh, I don't know that... Well, you can get your own sort of... These were custom-made for us by a listener... Uh, who has a relative who has access to really high-end printers, the the big, huge industrial ones. Uh, I found some some of the – I found the artwork for the poster online. Uh, somebody, I think he was French, um, recreated it and, and posted the – was it the Adobe SVGs or the, the, the really big Illustrator files? Um, and I found those, and I was talk, chatting with this this listener and – sent this sent, and sent them to him because I know he's a really big Tron fan and, and he, uh, he produced these posters for us. So uh, there's our little pack is there's only three of them. So if the, if the listener wants the, I guess we could post the link to where to download the artwork. And if you want to, sure, print, if we could track that down. Sure. And if you want to print your own, you definitely can. But what's exciting then is, so there's really only three of these, and you get one, our listener gets one, and previously I was probably going to get one until I brought up that whole, um, look at this cool newspaper that I posted on our website. Exactly. (laughs) You'll get that that poster as soon as that one comes down. See, listeners, what I do for you. Sacrifice my own poster, because I want the poster so badly. There will be be another contest shortly for another Tron poster. That I'm having a contest for printings <laughs> of that newspaper. I'm get- and everyone who enters wins. Everyone. <laughs> oh, I hate you. Um, so to get back to John's email, he says, um, now I'm off to the depths of my parents' basement storage to see if I can find my 12-inch copy of the Tron soundtrack, the original, not the reissue, and my 45 of Journey's Only Solutions, also featured at the end of the movie, but not on the original soundtrack. This guy knows his Tron music. Wow. Um, thanks, uh, to you for what you do. Not only are you helping me relive old memories from my childhood, but you're helping me keep slightly past current of slightly past current of arcade related happenings. Nicely phrased. It says before I go, I live in a little town about 45 minutes north of the underground retrocade. And in the early 80s, we used to have an arcade called Another Galaxy. Every time I listen to your episodes, I'm blasted back into that time, and I can still visualize the layout and the games that were in that place. They used to have a Tuesday special where you would get extra tokens for your buck. And if you got a blue token, you could trade it in for 20 free tokens. Ah, those were the days. Keep up the awesome podcast. Thank you, John. And that last paragraph is really the reason I wanted to read his email. Because I remember local places in Toronto used to have the same thing. Because a lot of them, when they switched over to tokens, there would be certain days where the tokens were less expensive. Or you would get more for your money. And they also did that same thing where you could get... You'd get like a special token of some sort in your group. If that came out of the token machine, then that was worth something. You know, extra tokens or a free prize or a free drink or something like that. Did they do the same same things in your childhood, Mike? Yeah, there were always specials going on. Um, you know, each each arcade wanted to stand out from the next, and so it depended on the day of the week that you went in and and uh, when you and then time of day and how busy it was, whether you were going to win something like that, it was never. I mean, it was never huge, but I mean, twenty free quarters was great. Mm-hmm. Still is great. Yeah. How many how many hockey rinks would that be? <laughs> I don't think Richard would... Red is back. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Do all our calculations for us, Richard. What percentage of a hockey <laughs> of a hockey rink would that be? Would one quarter be? <laughs> and we'll work it up from there. Um, so I th- anyway, I thought John's email was, was really fantastic. And yeah. also him mentioning that when he listens to the show, his mind goes back to that arcade that he went to a lot as a kid. And it made me realize that I, too, can remember the layouts and some particular machine positionings in some of the arcades that I frequented when I was young. And I And I didn't even realize that those memories were there but as soon as he said that it unlocked a couple of particular uh, machines i remember playing there was an environmental discs of tron machine at an arcade i went to quite a bit and i can remember now going into that arcade and you take sort of the the left fork of games and down three quarters of the way it's on the left hand side i was like wow i remember the positioning of that particular machine in that particular arcade you know 30 years later or something so just just amazing that the memories that will stick with us when it comes to you know the experience of being in an arcade yeah, sort of a sense memory almost. I, I 
had a similar experience when I read that email and I, uh, I, I would always panic when I would follow the pattern, <laughs> follow the pattern through the maze to the machines <laughs> where I expected them to be. And, and usually they had just, you know, take them to the back for repair or clean them or whatever. But sometimes you go in there and they would say, well, it wasn't making money. So we got rid of that machine. Ah, yeah. But I and, like that machine. <laughs> and then you just panic and throw a temper tantrum. So speaking of temper tantrums, we surprisingly <laughs> got none of them when it comes to the trick that we played on our lovely listeners last week with our Sorry Charlie episode. And yes, once again, we did indeed completely make up the game Sorry Charlie. It does not exist. I should mention here, I did get a, a couple of emails sent directly to me asking uh, if the contest was also part of the April Fool's joke. Oh. It, it was not. Yes, yes. Maybe that wasn't really well thought out. We had a, we had a <laughs> lot of people have entered the contest, so I guess most people are at least not taking the chance. Right. But yeah, I guess that could have been fake too. Yep. Mm. It's not. It's a real it's contest. It's very real. So will, the, so will the next one be for Car- for Carrington's poster? For my poster? Yes. Who knows? It would be, <laughs> be right in. Tell Mike that he's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Give you a poster. Shut up. <laughs> So um, Dan wrote in to say, I have to compliment you since it was absolutely brilliant and you did such a good job of playing it straight the whole time. The funny part is most of the things you said about this game would have been totally plausible back in that period, but probably just not all in the same game. We got a lot of people writing the same sort of thing where as much as the game we were describing, we were trying to describe it basically eventually as weird as we could make it. Um, the, it was a weird time for games, and it's hard to think of things that might not have mean in an actual game. Yeah, we um, and, and one of the things that that I noticed through a lot of these emails, they, were, they complimented us on our, our uh, how long it must have taken us to prepare for this. I have bad news for you. <laughs> <laughs> like all of our shows, there was no preparation. There was, we had all. we had the name of the game, and like. I don't even know if we had a general concept. I think I came up with that lawsuit thing like 10 minutes before we recorded. And that was it, really. We just kind of riffed off each other. I figured the multiple joysticks thing would eventually give it away, and it, it did seem to do that. So It almost made me laugh because you started that. And it was, <laughs> I was like, every time you bring up the joysticks, there is more joysticks. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I can play this game. Let's see how high that number can right. be. Like, sure. <laughs> and so many times you'd said things, I was like, oh, I'm going to laugh. I know I'm going to laugh. And so, but we didn't like there was, I didn't have to edit that at all. We both kept it straight. I tried to break you a couple of times. I really tried to say things that were so ridiculous that I would, I was trying to make you break character. Um, that ice cream cone head guy pulling out his own chunk of his head to throw it. I thought for mm-hmm. sure I would make you go, what are you talking about? But you didn't get, and then when I decided that, okay, there's going to be a player two gets inside the cabinet and then one guy got stuck and cooked. <laughs> I thought you'd lose it, but I thought I'd lose it actually. I'm normally dour and, and introverted and withdrawn from people. So I don't really laugh that much. I don't have a lot of sense of humor. So I laugh all the time and it was hard for me to get through that show. Everything you were saying was killing me. <laughs> it was like, we're like 12 joysticks. How do you have 12 joysticks? And then I'm trying to make a poster because then it was only after we recorded the show because we didn't really think this through. And I'll get to Paul's email in a second because it was a fellow named Paul. Paul, hello, Paul, who actually wrote it and gave us his idea ages ago for doing the show in the first place. But after we record, he should get your poster <laughs> maybe he should so it was after we record the story trying to think and i'm doing the editing and i realize well mike's gonna post something on facebook and we always post the poster for the game I'm like oh now i have to make a poster for the game and i'm trying to think well how did we describe it like was it i guess just a lot of joysticks <laughs> so but i didn't really have any visual for what the what it should look like and what should the, the, like the marquee look like or, or any of that. So I'm like, Oh, I guess we've got to make a poster. So I grabbed images from a couple of other games and use Photoshop to drag on more joysticks and more things on the control panel and make up some, some weird wording. There's a couple of really funny things on the poster. I think though, because if you look at the, uh, the address in the bottom corner of the, the manufacturer, that's actually an address of a prison. <laughs> and then the, uh, the Japanese wording there is actually, I think the phrase, something like, please help me. <laughs> so so somebody trapped in there. So there's weird things scattered around the poster, um, which, which I even put crease marks in. It was fun to do the poster. So, uh, but that was also last minute. There were a couple of Facebook listeners who recognized that you put bonk on the poster. 
I did indeed. I was desperate for a character and it would get late at night. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to use this one. I saw a post that said, uh, isn't that bonk? I'm like, I, th- I thought, yes, yes, it is. <laughs> yes, why? Yes, it is. Um, so, yeah, it was fun. So, we got email from uh, Mark Johnson, or as he puts it, platinum level listener Mark Johnson. Well done, Mark. I didn't even know we had levels. <laughs> and he says, when you send me my poster for winning, because he's part of his Tron poster entry, when you send me my poster for winning, please roll it and mail it in the tube. I have zero tolerance for poster folds and April Fool's jokes that make me Google in vain for the story of the guy <laughs> who was trapped inside an arcade cabinet. Sorry, Mike. We had a few people write in. It's also saying that, like they were sent off to Google to try to find what the heck this this game was. Yep, so we're was sorry. Uh, we're not that sorry. That's true. We're not. It was, it was fun. fun. We had a good so time. Paul wrote in. Paul Code wrote in, and if listeners who are really attentive will remember that ages ago, it was way back in October, Paul wrote in to give us a couple of suggestions or some feedback or something, and in that. When I was reading his email, I even said he also gave us another suggestion for something, and we're not going to say what it is because it's amazing and brilliant, and we don't even want to mention it. Well, that thing was the idea of doing an April Fool's joke. It was Paul who actually wrote in and said, you guys should do an April Fool's Day episode where you just make up the game. And Mike and I just immediately thought, well, that's wonderful. Let's do it. Yep. And then kind of didn't think about it again until <laughs> until it was almost like five minutes before. Well, that's what that's. That's why it got released on the seventh because we it, we realized too late that we had missed the first. It was like, holy, and we're working to wait a whole other year, so we're like, you know what? Let's just start tweeting about it right now, and then we'll put it out on the seventh. And and also, anybody who goes back and listens to our back catalog, the only thing we did way back in October when Paul gave us the idea of doing an April Fool's Day joke like this is we came up with the name of the game. Sorry, Charlie. And if you listen to the back catalog, there's been three or four times in episodes where we have discussed lists of games. Like people will write in and suggest a bunch of games and we would throw in the game Story Charlie as another suggestion. We wanted to sort of plant it in people's heads that they had heard of the game Story Charlie before. So if you had a vague idea that you'd heard of that arcade game, you probably heard about it from us and we were lying to you for months. (laughs) That's the kind of people we are. But we came up with no other details. Yeah, the rest we just sort of made up as we went and tried to get it as weird as possible by the end of the show. Now, did you compose all the sound effects and everything that we put in for the fake uh, guess the guess the game sound? I did indeed. Yes. Yeah. So when we put that together, what I did was I You're took talented, um, a couple of a couple of sounds from existing games and just modified them to make them sound a little different. The there's a kind of a whooshy noise that goes through. That's actually just a Space Invaders laser shot played backwards. So I did this little backwards satanic <laughs> Space Invaders laser shot. There's a couple of noises going like like a a pew sort of that's me just saying things like pew pew and then putting it through (laughs) electronic changes of my own voice and then there's um a song i can't remember what it is but i i found some um midi music of some old like 1800 song and i played that also backwards partly and then forwards as the as the music behind it and then there's the actual song playing through and that's just all the same thing some old midi music so just try to make it sound like what a 1980s game might sound like. Other than at the very, very end, you hear something go like, <laughs> that's just me doing that. <laughs> <laughs> but whatever. So Paul wrote in, by the way, Paul, who came up with the April Fool's idea. He says, Mike and Carrington, fantastic show. You had me. And I think it's funny that we had him because he came up with the idea. You had me and. Until you talked about the game having three joysticks. Mm-hmm. Throwing the brains sounded a little questionable, but okay, it was the 1980s. Well done. He says the flyer was really well done, but it must have been an early prototype since it was missing about 12 joysticks and possibly a couple of trackballs and spinners. Thanks for doing this. It was hilarious. It took everything I had not to laugh too loudly in my cube. This turned out better than I could have imagined. And then in a second email from Paul, we got, I still don't understand the turtle. <laughs> Clearly, <laughs> a good deal of thought went into this one. Is it April O'Neil from TMNT? Is it some sort of metric holiday? Excellent show. Thanks, Paul. Um, nope, Paul. We put no thought in at all other than coming up with a name. Completely random. And, we, and then we riffed. Yep. And so then to finish up our feedback, and again, thanks for everyone for writing in, and thanks for not being too mad at us for doing such a silly episode. But you know, we're a bunch of episodes in, and we wanted to shake things up a little bit. Um, James Albert wrote in, oh, sorry, the James, the Albert wrote in on Facebook (laughs) to say, 
I so got got. I listened to the whole podcast and I kept getting more and more confused. I did a Google and a cloth search and after about 10 minutes of staring at the flyer and listening to the gameplay description again, I wanted to punch my PC. Well played, gentlemen. So, sorry, James. I hope you didn't punch um, your PC, James. (laughs) Hopefully not too. And then two more really quick ones. First is uh, Rob wrote in, a friend of the show, Rob, and wrote a very, very long email. He said, great, great, great episode. Best April Fool's prank since ever. You both treated the discussion exactly like a normal review. I had no idea. Totally fooled. I even searched the meme definition to see how many joysticks it actually needed. (laughs) (laughs) The episode must have taken a lot of planning and no small amount of editing. Actually, no more than usual. (laughs) Um, It says... uh, uh, I love the artwork and the poorly translated flyer text. I salute you both. Well played. And then um, if you recall, he wrote in a while ago about the cabinet he's been planning to build. And he says, regarding yeah. the cabinet I was planning, I had two thoughts. What if I were to do a no-quarter cabinet? Your current webpage slash masthead slash nameplate would be a pretty good marquee. Would it be acceptable to you if I were to do that? And absolutely it would be. He asked if I have the F- SVG file for that. I do. I'm going to send it to Rob. I'm also going to post it online. So if anybody wants to use that artwork in an arcade or something, that would be amazing. I would love you to do that. So I will do whatever you want for me to facilitate that. And I will post everything online and you'll find links to that marquee image or I guess potentially marquee image in the show notes as well. And he says, which leads me to my bigger thought. How about doing a contest design for, or a contest for your listeners to design the no quarter side art for a cabinet. Now I don't know if we're going to do a full contest on that and maybe we will like in the future. So I thought I'd post that out there now just for our listeners to start thinking a little bit along the lines of what if in the future we do have a contest or something? Because I'm going to be making another main machine and maybe I want it to be a no-quarter cap. So if you've got thoughts on what the side art could be, don't send it in now because we have a other contest going at the moment. But I can envision us in the not-too-distant future having something else going on where we would be looking for side art. So if you're artsy, um, start thinking about how you would do a no-quarter cabinet because I would be interested. And then finally, I got, uh, or we got on Facebook, I think, one of my favorite bits of feedback came from Scott Meredith. And what I like about it is he played it straight just like we did. So Scott wrote in uh, a short response to our Sorry Charlie episode where he Ooh. says, I really like this game. Added it to my favorites in MAME. I, I love finding older games that are uncommon and are really fun to play. This is a true gem. After three days of playing, I almost got into a positive score, but I missed it at the last second. Negative 650. So close. <laughs> Not sure how. I'm going to try to pronounce the name here. Omol Edakra, which is arcade LMAO, uh, got so high when he got the world record, but I would love to see a video of it if they still have have it see how he did it well done scott well played just like we did um start normal get weird it also reminded me that we decided to go with negative scores which i think is really funny <laughs> what, hey does that does that count against me for our annual like who's winning for the year uh right now everything counts against you carrington oh, you beat me in our imaginary game <laughs> ah, i should have i should have made up a higher score <laughs> <laughs> I make up a high score every week, so. So anyway, thanks to everybody for the great feedback. It was a really fun episode to do. Um, we're you know we're back now doing our normal shows, and anticipate for the next you know for the foreseeable future there'll be normal no quarter shows where we're not making things up. Um, but it was really fun to take a quick break, and and I'm glad that everybody had fun playing along with us. So thanks a lot to the listeners. Yeah, that was a lot of fun to do, and and especially to see the to, to the feedback and the responses and. and um, and again, the contest is real. And, and Carrington, why don't we just get to that now before we get into the game? We have a contest going on. We do. Now, how long is our contest going to go for, Mike? Uh, I thought we were wrapping up today, Carrington. Well, I guess we're wrapping up today. Look at that. So, <laughs> so we have had a ton of amazing entries into the contest. And uh, I have loved reading them. We've had a lot of people write in with great quotes, great memories of Tron and all of that. And I have collected them all together, moving them over into our, into my email and taking the things also that we got from Twitter and direct messages and um, from Facebook. And here we have, let me see. So we have a total of, so yeah, total of, total of 76 flagged messages here that from the various things. So Mike, how are we going to select the random winner? 
I, you have the, the, the algorithm thingy, Carrington. I don't know. I do indeed. I'm, okay, let's go with that again, which is I basically just mod it. So you will pick a number. Mike, pick a random number. Between? A million and something higher than a million. A million, 800,426. You suck. Okay, so 1,800,000. 426. 426. Six. Mod. Mod. 76. Gives us a result of 62. <laughs> Hooray for math. <laughs> Which gives us our winner is num- number 62 Me? is Me? Rocky Burgeon. Wow. So he wrote in, uh, looks like by email. And he says, I want that space paranoids. Hey, guys, here's my quote. You're in trouble, program. Why don't you make it easy on yourself? Who's your user? That is indeed a quote from the film. So Rocky wins. Rocky, you got the poster. Rocky, well done you. I'm going to change his flag from a blue flag to a green flag. Thanks to everybody else who entered as well. We got lots of people writing in great quotes. Um, And I'm going to be trying to write back to everybody. But Rocky, I will reach out to you and get your address so that we can figure out how, where you are and how we can get a poster into your hands. The computer, an extension of the human intellect. The NCOM 511, center of the most calculating intelligence on Earth. Programmed by Master Control to survive by all means. Soon, the ultimate tool will become the ultimate enemy. I still do not understand why you want to break into the system. Because, man, somewhere in one of these memories is the evidence. the big master control program everybody's been talking about. Kevin Flynn, computer genius. Taken prisoner and held captive within the digital world of the computer itself. Trapped inside an electronic arena where love and escape Tron, enter its world this summer. And so with our contest out of the way, and our apologies out of the way for Sorry Charlie, it is time to turn to this week's actual real didn't make it up game, which is Dungeons and Dragons Tower of Doom. Isn't it, Mike? I think so. Did you make up this game or is it real? No, I think this one's actually real. It's a little bit later than we tend to go when we pick our games. This is true. It's a Capcom game from 1993. I was very surprised when you picked a game from the 90s. Well, I, I wanted to do a D&D thing, and, I, and this isn't quite a complete beat-em-up game that, that the, the usual Capcom fighters were at that time, so I thought it was a little bit unusual for what they were putting out and thought it might be to talk about. I was very wrong. <laughs> I was going to say, really? Because to me, it kind of played like a traditional beat-em-up. It's a cooperative one, like the normal This was my thinking, you know. Oh, I see. That's... It was your thinking that you're blaming. <laughs> well, yeah. So the plot of this is you are trying, you can play one of four uh, characters, Dungeons & Dragons characters, and you and your party, either you and yourself or up to four people, are going to try to make your way to Deimos' Tower of Doom and bring Doom to his tower. Now, I'm assuming that's what happens, because I didn't really get that far into this game, to be honest. When you're playing on one quarter, you only get the one credit, it is hard to get any distance into this game. <laughs> yeah, so it's a side-scroller, um, and it, it reminded me a lot of, like, if you took a game that, like, uh, was it when we played recently? Was it Bad Dudes, or was it Versus Dragon Ninja? where you're scrolling, the screen scrolls from left to right, and you just kind of move from left to right and punch and kick people. And as they come at you, 
And that's how you get through the game, really. But with spells. Oh, yeah. It's got spells. So this is set in the land of Mistara, which was, if I recall, an actual AD&D campaign mm-hmm. setting. I think it's AD&D 2nd Edition. Yeah, this is this is definitely uh, this is a, a licensed property. I think they got it from, was it TSR back then? Right, yeah. And the only, the only, I think, module that I ever played through, and yes, folks, surprisingly, I was a Dungeons & Dragons nerd. What a shocker. Mm-hmm. So, But I remember playing through um, X1, the Isle of the Dread, and I'm pretty sure that was set in Mistara. So, which is a good dungeon crawl, by the way. It's a mid-level dungeon crawl. I recommend it. And the reason I remember that one, and it's a really famous one, is I think that was the module that was included in the D&D expert set. So there was sort of the basic set, then you could get the expert set, and the expert set came with X1, and that was Mistara. And it was sort of like, kind of like King Kong, except you end up battling like these telepathic fish people, I think. Awesome. <laughs> so my, my memory's a little vague. I never but played that module. But in this game, yeah, so all the, I think most of the X ones, I think all the modules that start with X, that's the land of Mistara. So, in this game, you can play one of four different characters. There's a, a fighter, a cleric, an elf, or a dwarf. So if you're a human, you get a profession. If you're not a human, welcome to the racism of Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> you just, you, what are you? What do you do for a living? I'm an elf. <laughs> okay. Um, and the weird thing was, for me anyway, let's start with this, is in the actual game, the coin slot, like where you stand, determines which character you're going to play. So the leftmost is the fighter. That's player one. And if you're going to play in something like MAME and you want to not be the fighter, well, you better get used to your player two or three or four controls because that's what you need to use to play something other than the fighter. Okay. <laughs> way, way to pick up the segue there. <laughs> I apologize for not doing a lot of talking here, folks, but my my MacBook is completely locked up and has been since we started recording, so I have no access to any information about the game right now other than what I remember off the top of my head, which, other than not liking it, is not much. So, Mike, I have a question for you. Hmm. Which of these four players, or four characters, did you play this week? I played the Warrior. Okay, so you went with the, the straight-ahead player one guy. And did you pick him because he's the easiest to do in MAME, or did you pick him because you liked him the best? I picked him because that was when I dropped the coin in and hit the one in MAME, that's what popped up. Mm-hmm. Because I kept playing that character as well, and I wanted to play the other ones. And it took me a while to figure out how to play the other ones. I realized, oh, I have to put the quarter in as, like, player three if you want to be the elf. And I did try them all, and in the end, I think... If you're going to have other people supporting you, then you know you can kind of go with any of them. And a, having all four is no doubt the best way to go. If you're going to be totally solo, for me personally, surprisingly, it seems like the cleric is the way to go. And the reason is the the different characters have different sort of general abilities. So the warrior guy, this fighter, he gets the most health and he's got, you know... Decent power and a good range. He's got this big sword and he can hit it from a distance, which is good. The cleric um, is your typical cleric, kind of like a fighter, but he's got spells and he can do cure a cure wound spell, hold person, and eventually you can get strike and and I think continue a light and sticks to snakes. Though I never got that one. You can get you can be the elf, which again is sort of like a fighter, except he's got spells and these are now magic spells. So instead of being like the cleric where you're curing stuff, his spells are magic missile, invisibility, you can get lightning bolt, fireball, uh, a polymorph spell, I think, and some other ones. And then you can be the dwarf. So the dwarf has the shortest range, haha, um, but can attack upward really well and he hits the hardest. So he's got less health than the, the warrior, but he hits harder and he's got these really fast combos. The problem, well, not problem, but if you're going to play the game solo, you have to remember that in this game, it's not you against one enemy. It's normally your character against a swarm of bad guys, sometimes two, three, four, five at once. And it's a pain because, like, even if you, you're you know, easily strong enough to defeat any one of them, while you're beating on the one guy, you've got four other guys just attacking you, say, from behind. So I found one of the, the cleric spells, when I got hold person was a great one because I could take somebody, like one bad guy, out of the equation. So they'll often be like a mini boss and three or four little boss bad guys. So one of the best things to do is cast hold person on the big boss 
That leaves you only with the three easier guys. You take out all of them except one, and the rest won't respond as quickly. And then you go fight the main bad guy. So now you're fighting the main bad guy, and you only have one little guy whittling down your health. And so that, when I started doing that as a strategy, I started doing a lot better in the game. I did like, I really like the fact that the character, the character that you played uh, really affected how, really affected your strategy. You know, so you had the range attacks, and you couldn't just go rushing in with a cleric because you'd end up getting killed pretty quickly. And so it didn't feel like, um, you know, really it wouldn't matter which character you end up picking. It's all going to be the same. So I think Capcom Capcom did a good job with that. Mm -hmm. If you play multiple people, then everybody's going to take a different character. And since the characters are determined by your position on the four-player cabinet, you can't play with, like, two clerics. It's going to be, at most, one of the four. I think it's definitely a game that would be improved dramatically by playing it as a party. Like, this seems like a game that would be vastly more fun to have three or four people playing at once. Absolutely. Trying to make your way to the versus playing it solo the way we did. Yeah, the big this this is definitely a, a social game. It's it's sort of like uh Gauntlet for me, you know, where I would just go down to the bowling alley with my friends and we would play through it. I agree. And but I wouldn't I wouldn't drop probably a quarter into Gauntlet if I were by myself, just because it's not as interesting and really expensive if you're playing by yourself. That's it. And this too, like I found I couldn't get that far in. This is a quarter muncher game. It's a game designed to whittle you down and you pay another quarter to essentially bring your character back and go farther. Since when Mike and I are doing it, we're going for the one week, one credit score. I found it very frustrating with this game because I wanted to see more of the game, but I kept dying and I would usually die at the same place. Now, that said, one of the interesting things about this game, and I think something that separates it from a lot of beat-em-up games, is you can take multiple paths through the game. So often you'll get sort of the end of a level and you'll be given a choice of two destinations. They usually worked out to be, do you want to take the wimpy destination or do you want to man up and go after a bad guy? <laughs> like that's kind of how they went. And so if you if you do the, like, okay, get tough, take on the bad guys one, you'll get a higher score, but you'll also more likely die quicker. So I found my my better scores, often I didn't get as far into the game because I would take the harder path and that will lead you to higher scores, but also leads you to paying more quarters more quickly. Even the flyer, that that's one of the things that they, they advertise on on the back of, I think there's there were several flyers released for uh, for this game and the Europe, one of the, uh, one of the U S ones, I think it is, um, had, it even tells you that, uh, one of the, the things that is appealing about it is the story unfolds differently each time you repeat the challenge because of these different paths that you can take. Now, I guess eventually if you did drop enough quarters in, you could take all of the paths, but I don't know that you'd want to. But I think that would add to, again, the party element, because you'd have four of you playing and everyone's getting to vote. And so, okay, which one way should we go? And I think it adds the, like, you, you have a party of four people going through, and I think it adds to the party atmosphere of the play. This is a game really designed to play with multiple people at once. It's designed to play exactly the way that you and I did not play it. This <laughs> yeah, if I had a lot of money in the 80s and I had a lot of friends and threw a lot of parties, I would probably buy one of these and, and that would be... A lot of fun, but I didn't have any of those, and I don't have that now, so it wasn't much fun. <laughs> any any of the monies or any of the friends? Yes. <laughs> okay. And when you say a lot of money in the 80s, how many hockey rinks of quarters are we talking? <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to negotiate now, and, and how many hockey rinks of quarters <laughs> is it going to take me to get you to take that, that newspaper <laughs> off the webpage? <laughs> so when you say you, you, you want to pay me to take down the newspaper, you're going to give me three football fields are we talking nfl or chl football fields because i found out today in our reader feedback that those are very different numbers of words <laughs> um, so anyway and this, it, i i i liked like some of the elements of this game i really like i like the fact that when you especially when you play the characters the cleric or the elf that add the spells that adds a super fun element. So I really enjoyed playing those two characters, really more than the other two. Yeah, with the other two characters, with all of them, you can pick up rings, you can be the warrior, and you can pick up a ring with uh, uh, some number of, of uh, fireballs in it, and you can shoot your fireballs. So everybody can get to use the spells, but it's more fun when you pick up the books and you learn the spells as the cleric or the elf I found. I enjoyed playing the elf because it's got the, you know, the attack spell. So when you're doing magic missile and lightning bolt in particular, lightning bolt is a great spell in this. But if you're playing by yourself and you're just the elf, you're, you're, 
in fact, no matter who you play, you're going to die early in this game <laughs> if it's just yourself. But with the cleric, I found because the cure wounds and, and, and how it works with the cure wounds and how it works with a lot of these spells is you launch a spell, you are, you know, curing yourself and anybody else you touch, I guess, it also cures. So you become like a, a font of curing and you want to run around and bump into the rest of your, your players. But it was just me. So all I would do is cure myself. I found when I was, there's an, attack mode in this like when you run you can tap like forward twice you tap it twice and you hold forward Mm -hmm. and you'll do a dash and that's great but there's supposed to be a dash attack where you press the 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 fire button like the a button and forward at the same time that almost never worked for me it is i don't know if it's crazy particular about the timing or what but in my system anyway the dash attack just was not available yeah i could not get that working on mine either i I did pain i did uh, since you mentioned the the button combos and things like that, I did one of the one of the other reasons that I picked this is one of the reasons that I hate fighter games, and I've said this before, especially from the '90s from Capcom, is is all the different button joystick combos. Uh, Mortal Kombat had this; a bunch of them did, and I I just I couldn't spend the time and the the quarters to get good enough to memorize the combos to make it fun or interesting for me. It was just frustrating, and and there. There are a few of these in this game, but it, I didn't feel overwhelmed trying to learn the controls to have a good time with this one. I agree. It's sort of right on. It's sort of right on the edge there. Like if they had added any more, it would have been awkward and unwieldy, and it, it would have sort of added to my dislike of Tower of Doom. I remember being in an arcade with my friend Mark Sangster. Hi, Mark. If you're listening, I haven't talked to Mark in years. Mark is an awesome guy. Um, we were in an arcade, and this is like a billion years ago because i've known mark forever and ever and ever and by this point it would have been i guess the 90s so all the fighter games are out things like um virtual fighter and things although mark and i were old school gamers so we played games from back in the classic days and we're watching a couple of guys do the fighting game and they're pressing all the combos like you're pressing like you know two or three buttons at a time to do things and mark starts like playing a virtual keyboard in front of him, like a Phantom of the Opera sort of organ thing, <laughs> making fun of the way you play these games. And then, like, he turns away from the game with a hand up over half of his face. <laughs> Look at me, I'm, I'm a monster. I remember that moment very well. <laughs> so since then, whenever I see those games where you're basically courting and playing, doing multiple buttons at once, I always imagine Mark playing the virtual organ. <laughs> like, yes, I would play the sound of my fighting. <laughs> so I, too, am not a big fan of those ones. And I like this better because you just got the four buttons, and essentially there's an attack and a jump button. And then you've got two other buttons that are doing your inventory. So your C and your D buttons. The the C button is the use button. So whatever you have loaded up from your inventory, ready to go, be it a spell or a ring or like a throwing dagger or burning oil, which is a great thing you can pick up with this and does tons of damage. Um, the, the C button uses it, and the D button cycles through your inventory. So whenever you look down at your character's little display, it'll show you your current hit points and, and, and often show me how few of those I have left. Yeah. But it also shows you what you've got lined up ready to go. Like So if you're a cleric, for instance, you might have lined up a spell. So you've got your cure wounds spell ready to go. And you cycle through it with D and you use it with, with um, C. And I like that element. I like the element that you have an inventory to draw from. It's implemented in a way that can be done quickly because it is a fighter game. You can't like pause and bring up an inventory screen, but I like that. And speaking of pausing and bringing up inventory screens, though, I also like that between each of the major levels, you sort of go into a store and you can buy things. For the most part, I just max out buying healing potions, but you can buy things like arrows and daggers and stuff as well at a shop before you move on to the next level. And so I I like that element, too. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's a lot of... The extras like that, the the polish, I guess we would call it, that really kind of made this not a not an awful experience for me, and and I think the reason that I really didn't I I didn't enjoy it was as you said, if you're playing single player, you're just not going to last very long, and it's it's not as much fun. I agree. I mean, there's lots of pros to this game that I did enjoy. I think the graphics are quite good. Oh, yeah. I'm used to playing like '80s games, so when you play something like this, you're like. Wow, look at these graphics. <laughs> so, but that's partly just a, a, a feature of when it was made. I think it also has really good sound. I liked, other than I didn't like the spell, there's this 
weird noise you make when you do some of the spells, like the fireball spell. It's really grating, and I guess they're designed to punch through the ambience of a real arcade. But if you're playing it at home, it's kind of annoying, some of the spells sounds. But I like that when you put a coin in, it says, Welcome to the D&D world. So I like that bit. Um, the boss fights, especially the mini boss fights, which are mostly all I could ever get to, I liked those a lot. I like the fact that the strategy, so you have a bunch of kobolds around you, and there'll be one big knoll, and you've got to use strategy on how you're going to fight them. That's cool. There's dragons. That's awesome if I could ever live long enough to get to one of them. Mm-hmm. And I like the fact that it's got essentially the replay value because you've got the multiple paths you can go through. And well, each time you're only picking a left or right path, an easy or tough path, enough of those add up to be quite a, a, a map you can work your way through. So I thought that was fun. And I think it's I think this would really be stellar as a four-party, a four-player party game. Downsides, I think, though is like the experience and the leveling up, they feel like they're completely just tacked on. Like every once in a while it will just say, you know, your character has now level eight and you have five more hit points. I'm like, well, what does level eight really do for me? It didn't feel like leveling up the way it does in Dungeons & Dragons where you're you're getting more capabilities or more spells or something. It just seemed like a you get some more hit points every once in a while at random. I thought the four characters were a bit too generic. Like if you're going to compare this to an, an actual RPG, they're kind of generic. I guess it's a beat em up, but still. Um, I thought there wasn't quite enough strategy. Like, if you're going to have a four-player party game, I would have liked to have more times what the strategy would have been more than just press your buttons as fast as possible and who should you hit first. And at the end of the day, I think the, the my main issue is it's a quarter muncher. And I think we talked about these sort of games before where I'm not a big fan of them if I'm not going to have actual money at the lo- on the line. So I prefer arcades where you can pay one and play all you want now. That's definitely where I'm falling. I know everybody else seems to think otherwise. But this is the kind of game I think suffers from those cases because if you can literally just continue all you want and there's there's no no, no downside to dying essentially, then it it's like you have a cheat code going and it, it makes the game kind of boring to play because you're just going forever. I would prefer to play this with a group of friends. We each get like, you know, $5 for the quarters and last man living or woman, if you play the elf, gets the quarters or something. Like it seems like there should be something on the line when you play this game. Yeah, I think that it, it felt like a, and I, I don't know how I would have done it because with given the hardware that they were, that, even the hardware that this game came out on and the audience that they were aiming it at, I don't know if you could have made it less beat up more RPG and still been successful at that time in the arcades. Uh, but it feels like some, a lot of the more interesting parts of D and D for me um, were, were compromised in order to make it a fast moving action game. I think so too. And I think maybe that's my problem is the way I'm comparing it. So rather than saying it's a beat up game, which I normally wouldn't like, and they've added a bunch of RPG and Dungeons and Dragons elements that make it into a beat up game. I actually do like, instead I'm kind of taking a glass half empty approach where I'm saying, but I like RPGs and I like the, a deep game like that. And this has been dumbed down to turn it into a beat up. And therefore I'm focusing on sort of the negative aspects, but maybe it's just a glass half empty glass half full. Where's my bottle sort of, way of thinking yeah i don't know i i think maybe maybe it would have been more i mean i would have liked it less but it maybe would have done better um back then anyway i would have liked it less but maybe it would have been a more enjoyable game to play if it were purely action and i didn't and i wasn't and i wasn't getting frustrated by not getting more out of the rpg stuff like like you said you know you level up but what's the point it doesn't do anything for you exactly so speaking of the hardware though we could look at the the cabinet itself um it's odd that like it runs on a 6800 or 68k uh, Motorola chip, but whether that's 12 megahertz or 16 megahertz depends on who you're talking to. The sound processor is a Z80 at either 8 megahertz or 6 megahertz, depending on the info source. So there's a lot of contrary info out there. The one thing that everybody seems to agree on though is it runs on the CPS2 hardware, and we'll have a link in the show notes to the CPS2 stuff because that's got some really interesting elements in, and it's very different than the hardware that runs most of the games we've dealt with, where you normally got the big um, PCB on the inside. Here, it's a dual PCB. You have a, a base board, I guess it's called, the, or you have a main board and a game board. And the motherboard is a combination of the two. So you have your, your main board and you slide into that a game board, almost like a cartridge kind of way to go. And they're color-coded. So you got the, the A board, which is the, the main board, and that's 
color coded according to where it was produced. So green means it's Japan, blue is for USA and Europe, orange is South America, gray is Asia, and yellow is for anywhere, but they're the rental versions. Because this game, you could rent to an arcade instead to try to convince them to, they could rent just the game to put into their, their other JAMA board games and stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know, it's kind of, I'm really not a JAMA guy. So you have to match the color of the main board and the game board for the most part, like you, other than you can mix and match the green and blue board. So Japan, USA, and Europe, you can use like a green main board from Japan and a blue game board from Europe or USA and combine the two. But the yellow ones are the rentals and like the gray ones, the Asian ones, you have to match it. You can't use anything but gray matching sets. The bigger issue is uh, it's got something called the CPS suicide. So the CPS game boards were protected by a system that has encrypted ROMs to stop people from ripping off these games. Obviously, like all DRM, it has failed miserably and you can easily download the ROMs. But it does mean, like all DRM, it's a pain for people who have legally paid for it and it punishes those who are are obeying the law, like all DRM. In case you're wondering, I'm against DRM. I don't know if I'm being too subtle about it. But, so that you've got like this key data and if the board loses power... Not instantly, but you have about an hour. So if it loses power for an hour long, it loses the decryption key, which is unique for each board, and the game becomes garbage. So now it's not like if you unplug the game from the wall, but it has a because it has a little battery built in. The problem is, of course, like all batteries, those eventually die. And the, the lithium lithium batteries, I guess, are only what's in these. So they're going to last, what, five, six, seven years? It's been a lot more than five or six, seven years now, right? right. <laughs> so... Exactly. And so they're like a 3.6 volt battery. And as soon as they drop below two volts, it stops keeping the encryption key live and it's doomed. So it's a self-killing board. Luckily, like all DRM, it can't actually stop people from copying it. And it didn't stop people from retrofitting it. And there's versions of the ROM that you can put back on these boards. The boards can be brought back to life nowadays. Um, But for a long time, they were just like, well, that board's dead. Too bad. You could send it back to Capcom. And for money, they would bring it back to life. But now it's very easy to bring your own back to life. And I will have links to all of that, including the how to bring your your boards back to life stuff on the net. Because it's all over the net now. So in case you do come across one of these and it's dead, you can pop in a new battery and you can uh, resurrect it. I think if I were an arcade owner back then and I heard that the cap and I heard that these Capcom boards were doing this, I don't know that I would get one of those machines just on principle. I, you know, that, that doesn't, that would be a big problem for me. I think so too, because it's a big investment. You buy one of these things. Yeah, they're not cheap. It's thousands of dollars. And it's saying, Oh, by the way, at some point around five years from now, it'll become garbage too bad. Right. I mean, come on, what what kind of thinking is that? And again, all it does is punish the the, the actual people who are paying for the cabs. Um, so this is also one of the first games, if not the first game that we've talked about that is a JAMA game. So the JAMA, the Japanese Arcade Machine Manufacturers Association, I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's probably right. Um, was essentially a universal connector. So it's a used to attach games, attach like the games to the arcade cabinet. So you, you, it's a series of cabling to attach the buttons and stuff to the cabinet. And the nice thing was then you could take another, it was basically a standard. So you could take a different JAMA board and plug it into the machine. Something I learned from reading for this game that I never knew before is the JAMA standard only accounts for three buttons per player. Because I think of JAMA games as mostly being fighters and stuff that all need six buttons. So it's the case that like JAMA, I guess, or at least the original standard JAMA only accounts for three. And then the board would have to have another way to handle the rest of the connectors. So it was done separately. So JAMA seems to be a, a short-sighted way of doing buttons. I don't know. Maybe that's just because I'm a classic arcade guy. And I think JAMA's too newfangled for me. <laughs> have we have we ventured into into too deep waters for you, Carrington? For, for Maybe we have. For titles. Do we need to run back to the safety of the early 80s? I would like us to run back to the safety <laughs> of the early 80s. I would like that very much. Oh, I should talk about the, the finally the cabinet itself. Yeah. Um, we talked about how it's a, it, it's a fixed position cabinet. So you got four, it's a four-player cabinet. And where you sit, or where you stand, rather, determines who you're going to be. And that means it's a large cab. Because like, most of these four-player beat-em-up things, they're way wider and way deeper because you have to account for four-player positions. So it becomes quite a large shape. In shape, it kind of looks to me like somebody took a, a, a classic arcade cab and stuck a tank stick to the front of it. And I'm like, oh, okay, not particularly attractive. But I really don't find any of the big beat-em-up cabinets that attractive. Um, there is 
I guess the only lasting dimension is the there was a sequel, the Chronicles of... Oh, sorry, there was a sequel to this game called Shadow Over Mystera, which is the same sort of thing and the same sort of cabinet, but it's supposedly better in all ways, better graphics, better plot, better characters, but I, we haven't actually played it. Maybe we should have. Maybe we should have, <laughs> yes. Even later games, why not? Um, and then this got released in as the Chronicles of Mystera collection, that came out for various newfangled ways to play games at home. And in that collection, what I found interesting was it shows a 3D model of a dual screen cabinet. So it's kind of like two cabinets attached side by side with only two players in each cabinet. So you get two monitors, four people play, and imagine it's just two cabinets. And so you'd have more elbow room and though it would take up more space because it's taking up the space of two cabinets. And it turns out that was a thing you could do in the real world with a lot of these CPS2 games, including this one. There was something called a link cable, which was a cable and a little box that would permit you to hook up two different machines together You'd have two players on one machine, two players in another, and they would play one big game together. Um, but that's a particularly rare element. So if you're looking to collect these things, the machines themselves don't go for a ton. They're traditional beat-em-ups. They often died, but even with that, it's easy to bring the boards back. And most people who collect beat-em-ups don't seem to really care if they have an original cabinet. They'll go get anything. Go get an X-Men cabinet or whatever, and you throw in this jam aboard and say, now for the next two months, it'll be this game. So nobody seems to want to spend a ton of money on these things. They typically go anywhere from 200 to 500 even in you know great shape. What goes for a lot of money is that link cable set. That is super rare. Uh, I've seen it go online itself for $1,000. So it seems if you want to get into collecting, that's where the real money is. Wow. So there you go. You were talking about the the remake that, that actually did come out last year. It was available uh, or is available, I guess, on the PC, the PlayStation Network, Xbox, Live Arcade, and 360, uh, the Wii U eShop. And, or you can buy it for... Uh, I'm sorry. On the eShop, you can buy it for fourteen ninety nine or twelve hundred Microsoft points. How many is that in hockey rinks? I, three. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Unless you're in Canada, then it's six. Um, okay, got it. There is a neat article on NintendoLife.com about the making of these games. It goes into depth with the designers, and it's kind of neat because they talk about not only dealing with with TSR, who own the 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 intellectual property rights for Dungeons Dungeons and Dragons, but also they got together with SSI, who already had a lot of experience developing D and D games for home computers, and so they they were able to bring in a lot of that experience and and I and I guess make the development process easier. So, Mike, end of the day, how'd you do? How did your party of one do in its battles across the land of Mistara? Well, Carrington, I don't know. You don't know. I it's all it's all on my little notepad here that I cannot access because my MacBook is just not cooperating with me. Well, that will have to be a surprise for the listeners when they go to our show notes. But I can tell you how I did, and it's poorly. <laughs> so, uh, best score I got was twenty seven thousand five hundred and seventy eight. Now that places me in the. I was killed by the displacer beast in the fort so if you play this game you'll get to a place not that long in (laughs) where you fight a displacer beast so there'll be multiple ones and you have to go by which one has a shadow and that's the one you attack i like that element and i frequently would be killed around there but not because the displacer beast is that tough it's just that i had been whittled down by the time i get there that it would often kill me Uh, sometimes i would make it past there and then i would usually die on the boat after that against the fish thingies um because i can't seem to quite make it to the black dragon which i think comes next but with only one credit it is hard to get any distance into this game if you're playing solo with a party of four i'm sure i can make it farther but when i'm on my own uh, not working so twenty-seven thousand five seventy-eight. displacer beast took out um cleric carrington before the fort yeah that's there you go that sounds about as far as i got into the game and, and we'll post my actual score later um i i didn't play i didn't play it that much just because it was kind of a frustrating experience on one quarter with nobody else like you said so now would you go back to it would you play it more if i had if i had people to play with but you know if it's just me no probably not i think so too but the thing is most of the time beat-em-ups don't appeal to me this one actually does appeal enough that if i'm in an arcade and i can gather two or three other people to play with me this sounds like a really fun game to play four-handed and i would like to try it again four hands i do indeed have four (laughs) hands 
yeah, you know, I like I said, I you know, not a great game, not horrible, and good enough that I wouldn't rule out um, I wouldn't rule out trying the sequel because uh, by all accounts, as you said, it it's better than this one, so I maybe would have a better time playing that. This wasn't my favorite game, and it's not my favorite kind of game, and I frankly don't like games from the 90s, but I think I'm more positive towards it than you. I actually had fun playing it. It was just frustrating because I only get the one quarter, and I look forward to playing it in a, in a more party atmosphere. Party on, Wayne. <laughs> party on, Garth. So what are we going to party on with next week? Here you go. All right. Well, that uh, that brings us to the end of another No Quarter podcast. Thank you for podcasting with me, Carrington. You're welcome for me podcasting with you. Thank you to all the contestants who who joined, uh, who who tried to win the poster, and to what's his name who won. We'll be in touch with you shortly, <laughs> Rocky. And uh, if you didn't win, we'll have another one soon, and we'll see you later. Bye. You've been listening to No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. Feedback can be sent by email to noquarter at monsterfeet.com, or you can find us on Facebook as No Quarter Podcast, and on Twitter, we are at No Quarter Show. You can also find us on both the Throwback Network and the Real Retro Junkies Network. All of these links, plus the show notes, are available at monsterfeet.com. And like all Monster Feet podcasts, the original material in this episode has been released to the public domain. <laughs>